This week's episode is brought to you by Seen Unseen Disneyland 2 by Russell Bacon Flores, the only Disneyland book that comes with scratch and sniff bacon scented pages. Available on Amazon and plenty of other places where books are sold. Hello and welcome to Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show and home of the world's first pair of independently born identical twins. I'm George. And I'm Jeff. And you mentioned bacon. Mm. And even though there's nothing to do with bacon or the rest of the show, now I want bacon. Well, I mean, it's, it's sort of dinner time where you are right now. Uh, that was me leaning away from the mic to see what time see it was. What time yes, it, was. it is. <laughs> it's currently five nineteen in the afternoon, and I want bacon for dinner now. Gosh, I know what it's like eight nineteen here. Time travel is so confusing. It's so confusing. Let's uh, let's just get to it, so I can go get some bacon. That's all you want now, bacon. It's time for Disney history. So it's pretty clear that Disney has a rodent problem of some sort. You know, there's a gigantic one named Mickey that roams around their theme parks. Uh, they have a movie about a culinary-inspired one in Paris. And a team of them even help a little servant girl become a princess before turning into a pumpkin. So basically, Disney just loves rodents. But one of them often gets pushed aside for its more famous counterparts, but it's definitely got a cult following. And that, of course, is the Great Mouse Detective. So The Great Mouse Detective was based on Basil of Baker Street, a series of books written by Eve Titus and illustrated by Paul Galdone. Basil is a mouse who lives in the basement of Sherlock Holmes' home at 221B Baker Street. And Basil, or Basil, whatever you want to say, is a big fan of The Great Detective's work and hones his skill by watching Holmes in action. His best friend is Dr. Dawson, the mouse counterpart to Dr. Watson, and their housekeeper is Mrs. Judson. Lots of similarities there, no? So the book series is made up of five books with the original published in 1958. Uh, in Basil of Baker Street, the great mouse detective himself is enlisted to find the missing twins, Agatha and Angela Proudfoot, and he travels throughout England to track them down and return them to their parents. In Basil in the Lost Colony, released in 1964, we meet Basil's arch-nemesis, Radigan, based on Holmes's nemesis, Professor James Moriarty, uh, when Basil is on a mission to locate and rescue the inhabitants of a lost mouse colony of the Telemice in the Swiss Alps. In Basil and the Pygmy Cats, released in 1971, it takes Basil to exotic Benningstan, not Bennington's, the restaurant, but Benningstan's. Bennigan's? Bennigan's, that's what I meant to say. But see, I'm hungry. I'm thinking about fair enough. Too. Fair enough. So Benningstan, you know, where he must rescue the Maharaja from Radigan and then sail to the lost island of Qatar to find the elusive pygmy cats. Basil in Mexico, released in 1976, sees Basil serving a solving three cases. The first, he must discover who is providing fake cheese made of concrete to his fellow mice, causing them to break their teeth. <laughs> 
After solving that, he and Dawson venture across the globe to Mexico where they help recover a stolen painting, the Mausa Lisa. So the final case is when Dawson is kidnapped by Radigan, and once again, Basil is called upon to save the day. Um, the f oh, I'm sorry, that was the final uh, case from that last book. Uh, the mm. actual final book is Basil in the Wild West, released in 1982, uh, where he is called upon uh, to head to the Grand Canyon to stop a band of smugglers. And this book series has often been children's first introduction to Sherlock Holmes in general, because it was definitely mine. I remember reading it, uh, I think it was The Pygmy Cats, long before I ever picked mm. up a Holmes book, and it was definitely my gateway into the Holmes uh, novels. So when the time came to bring Basil to the big screen, writers Matthew O'Callaghan, Vance Jerry, Steve Hewlett, Bruce Morris, Melvin Shaw, and Peter Young brought Basil and Dawson back to London for the setting of The Great Mouse Detective, creating a new story to pit against Radigan, who was responsible for capturing little Olivia Haversham's toymaker father for a scheme that threatens the monarchy of the English mousedom. The film was directed by uh, Ron Clements, uh, Bernie Madison, David Mincher, and John Musker. And it took four years in development before it actually reached the silver screen in the summer of 1986. And it was also notable for being the first Disney film to incorporate computer-generated animation with hand-drawn characters. The clock skiers were created on a computer, and then the drawings were reproduced on the animation paper using a mechanical arm and pen. And animators would then place a piece of paper over this work and add the characters on top of the computerized drawings. The, this computerized craftsmanship allowed the scene to be put together in a similar manner as a live-action film. Not only did this make for revolutionary visuals, but it also allowed the studio to keep costs down as they were still reeling from the recent flop of The Black Cauldron, which we covered in episode 190. To provide the music, Disney turned to two extremely talented musicians to help out. One of them was Academy Award winner Henry Mancini, who composed things like the theme from The Pink Panther and Brian's Song. Joining him was Grammy winner Melissa Manchester. So Manchi Mancini composed the score for the film and both of Radigan's songs, uh, The World's Greatest Criminal Mind and Goodbye So Soon. And then Manchester wrote and performed Let Me Be Good To You voicing and also voicing the showgirl Miss Kitty. And speaking of Radigan's songs, Disney turned to one of the most prolific screen villains of all time for his voice, uh, Vincent Price. Price bought his... Uh, brought... He may have bought it. He I may have it. bought it at a store. Who knows? It, who knows? But Price brought his inimitable style and nuance to Professor Radigan, the world's greatest criminal mind. In spite of his cinematic history, Price was asked to audition for the part. He commented later in an interview that it, it, had it been anyone but Disney, he would have been offended. Instead, he admitted to being terrified as he was unsure of what the studio would require of him, even though he wanted to be in a Disney film. He loved the role and it wound up being one of his favorites. Barry Ingham actually portrayed the noble Basil of Baker Street. Um, so, Ingham's theater credits span both Broadway and London's West End, with roles ranging from Shakespeare to modern plays to musicals, including playing opposite Disney legend Angela Lansbury in the West End premiere of Gypsy in 1973. And he also had uh, roles in numerous television shows, both in the United Kingdom and the United States, such as Murder, She Wrote, uh, The Jeffersons, Remington Steel, The Smurfs, and Star Trek The Next Generation. Alan Young, who played uh, Hiram Flaversham, was known as Wilbur Post in the popular 1960s television series Mr. Ed, before branching into animated work. He also did voice roles in the television movie Black Beauty and the series The Battle of the Planets and The Incredible Hulk. Having been raised in Scotland, this made him the perfect fit for this role, and also for his later role of Scrooge McDuck 
in DuckTales. Val Benton lent his voice for Dr. David Q. Dawson, and though he was born and raised in Wisconsin, he actually studied acting at the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art at London University, and he honed a flawless English accent there. And he appeared in a few films, and also took on the role of the Sultan in the Aladdin sequels, uh, Return of Jafar and The King of Thieves. Candy Candido, the voice of Radigan's henchman Fidget, also has a pretty strong Disney resume, including roles in Fun and Fancy Free, Peter Pan, Robin Hood, and The Rescuers. The ladies of the film were plenty as well. Diana Chesney, the voice of Basil's housekeeper, Mrs. Judson, would mark this as her only Disney film. But she would have a long hit she does have a long history of acting. She also attended the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art and worked extensively in musical theater in England before going into TV. Her credits include It Takes a Thief, Hogan's Heroes, Bewitched, The Six Million Dollar Man, and Robin Hood Men in Tights. Eve Brenner was the voice of Queen Mouse Toria, and you would also see her, uh, this would only be her only Disney role, but she also had an extensive uh, career in film and TV, and she appeared in hit shows across pretty much like four or five decades now, uh, such as Highway to Heaven, Quantum Leap, Doogie Howser MD, Murphy Brown, Seinfeld, Ally McBeal, and a lot more. The Great Mouse Detective uh, earned positive reviews, as well as a nomination for the Edgar Allan Poe Award, the highest honor in mystery novels, television, and film. It was also a financial success, earning almost twice its budget. The movie was re-released uh, in both theaters and home video in 1992 as The Adventures of the Great Mouse Detective, but was returned to its original title for a subsequent DVD release in 2010 and the Blu-ray that came out not too long ago. So this, of course, is a wonderful film, which I know we've talked about before. I love it. Lots of other times. Yes, love it so much. But call us on our Communicore Weekly Goat Line and tell us what you think about the great mouse detective is it your favorite animated film do you have a favorite part or a favorite character let us know call us at 424-785-4628 424-785-GOAT he's a nerd he's a geek but we all like to hear him speak so listen up to the words from his speech it's george's book of the week bloodline is the latest book in the star wars series and the latest one by claudia gray So Gray wrote The Wonderful Lost Stars, which took us through uh, the original Star Wars trilogy, but on two different divergent paths. Needless to say, I was extremely excited when the review copies uh, for Bloodline showed up. This book takes place between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens. So after watching The Fork Awakens, uh, most of us wondered how the First Order rose to power and how the Resistance began to combat it. And this book actually shows the very early beginnings of all of that and how sometimes trying to do the right thing winds up causing uh, bigger issues. Exactly. So both of us felt that Bloodline was more of a political thriller than the typical Star Wars book. And that's really a good thing. The focus is on Princess Leia, who at this time is a uh, senator uh, for the New Republic, and we're introduced to a galaxy that isn't quite what it seems, and political factors that are as divergent as what we're experiencing today. Uh, Granted, there is still a lot of action and space stuff. Oh my god, there's so much space stuff. Space (laughs) stuff galore. Um, But I, I really think the main attraction here is that the focus is on Leia and how she's trying to make politics work in this like new post Empire world. 
And just saying that, it sounds boring, but it's actually really, really intriguing. And just seeing how the politics of the New Republic work or don't work is fascinating, to me at least. Um, and the alliance that she forges with someone on the opposite side of the political landscape is quite interesting and integral to the plot. Plus, there is a fan favorite nickname that's been floating around for years that actually becomes canon in this book. So, I mean, you really can't go wrong. <laughs> so, if you're a Star Wars fan, though, and you don't read this book, that would be going wrong. But we'll leave it at that. <laughs> this is a fantastic title that really doesn't it doesn't outshine Lost Stars, but it takes us on a different journey with characters that we love and characters that we are going to love. It's exciting and exasperating to see Leia maneuver uh, this political minefield that's made up of thousands of worlds and senators that she has to deal with. And I really like how the title of the book, like how, how it played out into the actual content of it. The family bloodline, whether you know paternal or adopted, is a big factor. And even the bloodline of how political climate works is dressed. But also keep in mind that there is a gigantic shadow of Vader on the cover for a reason. <laughs> you know, Despite being dead for over 20 years at this point, the shadow he casts on the plot of the book is heavily felt, especially in the latter half. Yeah, it seems like each of the Star Wars novels that we've been reviewing, they just get better and better, especially when the books are tied into The Force Awakens in some way, like surprisingly, how this one was. And as Jeff mentioned, there are some fantastic ties to the First Order and some of the characters that we see in the film and in other books. And it's it's almost like uh, they're taking a lesson from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, maybe. <laughs> and, and as they know. should. Yes. And you know, as much as people complain about it not being canon anymore, and as much as I love the original expanding yeah. universe, I really think Disney is knocking it out of the park with their new canon and really kind of taking it to a whole new level. Mm -hmm. um, and, I mean, we both are constantly and patiently yes. waiting the next Star Wars novel to see what's going to come in next. So, I mean, this book was a total win for us. I agree. So, this week's book was Star Wars Bloodline by Claudia Gray. If it's a legend that you seek, come on and take a peek at the window of the week. This week's window is located on Main Street in Disneyland. So it says, Leading the race to the future, Meteor Cycle Company. Our vehicles pass the test of time. Fast, faultless, and fadless. Bob Gurr, Design Impersario. So Bob Gurr was hired out of art school to consult on the design of the Autopia cars. And what followed was a career that spanned almost four decades. He has developed over a hundred designs for all sorts of vehicles, from the Matterhorn bobsleds, the monorail, to the vehicles on Main Street and more. If it's on wheels at Disneyland, chances are that Bob Gurr designed it. And though he had no formal training in engineering, Bob took it upon himself to learn and his skills were unsurpassed. He is one of two Disneyland windows that have a corresponding sign beneath it, with his reading the Meteor Cycle Company in the shape of a bike. He's also a cool dude. Sometimes you might see it, sometimes you don't. Hey, look, what's that? It's a five-legged goat. So, years ago, there was this gorgeous green glass elephant named Penny located within the Gibson Girl Ice Cream Parlor on Main Street at Disneyland. And when the restaurant was refurbished in 2012, the elephant had gone missing. Nobody, nobody stole it, they just put it somewhere else. <laughs> um, however, everyone was talking about the elephant not in the room, wondering where it went. Well, it's been a few years, but she finally made a reappearance, but this time in Adventureland. You can actually find Penny peeking out of a box on the roof of the tropical import mm. shop right next to the Jungle Cruise now. So it's kind of cool that she became this kind of tropical, I don't know, treasure of some sort. A hidden elephant? A hidden elephant indeed. 
Maybe, maybe like a the five-legged elephant. Maybe like the Lincolns. Yes, or exactly like that. Yeah, it is wearing wow. a stovepipe height, so. Yeah, exactly. And you know, you got me thinking with the ice cream parlor that I've never really had ice cream with bacon, and I'm wondering if that would be something. I've had bacon flavored ice cream. Really? Oh yeah. Okay. It's okay. good. Was it was it when you were out like maybe hanging out with Russell? No, actually, Russell was not there at all when I had this. So Gosh. go figure, right? He probably had a heart attack. He was like, I can't believe Heimbuck ate bacon without me. Bacon without me. I just oh. can't get it. Gosh. So so speaking of Flores, he is the sponsor for this week's year of a million or so limited time cadets prize winner. And no, he is not really going to send you out a pound of bacon. We <laughs> tried that what once. We say. And yeah, it's yeah, it did not work well. The post office it ended really badly. Not at all. So uh, as a reminder, it's still there's plenty of time for you to enter. Our weekly contest, we're going to give away a prize every week. 34. Just have to, we have 34 left? Yep. Wow. Okay. So uh, just have to email communicorweekly at gmail.com with your name and address and birthday so we know where to send the wonderful prize. And this week's prize, which is a copy of Seen, Unseen, Disneyland 2, which is a wonderful look at the hidden details of Disneyland by our friend Russell Flores. The winner is Daniel S. of Edmund Oklahoma. Hooray, Daniel! Yay. We gotta ask for somebody to give us surprise crowd noises or something. We, I like know. That. I mean, but with this less time left, I don't know if it's yeah, gonna that's happen. That's true. That's true. We'll have to figure out something. So <laughs> don't forget, you two can enter the contest. Just send us your email or just send us an email to communicorweekly at gmail.com. And of course, that wraps up the show. So thank you guys so much for watching and listening to another episode of Communicore Weekly. However you get the show, you know, if you watch it on YouTube, leave us a comment, or if it's on iTunes, you know, leave us a rating. We'd love to hear what you think about it. And again, email us at communicorweekly at gmail.com to say, hey, what's up, Corey, or anything bacon-related. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash communicorweekly. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope, because sometimes you can actually watch Jeff eat food. That's true. I do that quite often. Yeah. Usually it's Um, in and out. Usually. I mean, you mean the food is in and out? Yes. Wait, uh, we'll just leave it at that. We'll okay. just leave it at that. Um, I'm Adam Aginerding, and he's at Jeff Heimbach. You can also leave us a message on the Communicore Weekly GOAT line at 424-785-4628. And don't forget, you too can visit the Communicore Weekly web store where you can pick up some amazing t-shirts like our flushing on our own terms which is a great t-shirt to wear more, and support. Yeah, more relevant than ever right now. Yes, it is. So visit communicorweekly.spreadshirt.com. And there's plenty of time to get your official cadet membership cards and stickers. Just send a self-addressed stamped envelope to Communicore Weekly, P.O. Box 432, Orange, California, 92856. And you can learn how to support the greatest online show by visiting patreon.com slash Weekly. For Jeff Heimbuck, I'm George Taylor. And for George Taylor, I'm Jeff Heimbuck. Thanks for... Hmm, excuse me. Oh, man. Thanks wow. so much for listening, guys and gals, and listening to me mess up. <laughs> we'll see you next time on Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show.